Good morning again. So I don't know if you guys follow sports, but I saw that the Pittsburgh Pirates game got postponed for several hours yesterday because their fan didn't show up and they had to go try to find him. There we go. Good. Okay. So we're in the midst of a miracle series. And this is such a cool series. It's such an amazing series because we're able to focus on the powerful efforts of God to show who he is, just to really touch our lives in the world. And one of the amazing things about miracles is something can happen, like say the parting of the Red Sea, that is so powerful in that moment. And yet thousands of years later, we look at it and we, we realize, hey, he can erase the barriers around us. He can help us with all of these things. He can do miracles in different ways. And so I want to go to Luke chapter 13, which you've just heard, but I want to go through it again just to show who Jesus is and the miracle of his love, the miracle of his life in our lives. So here is verse 10. One Sabbath day, as Jesus was teaching in a synagogue, he saw a woman who had been crippled by an evil spirit. She had been bent double for 18 years and was unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Dear woman, you are healed of your sickness. Then he touched her, and instantly she could stand straight. How she praised God. So I think a lot of times when we read these stories, it, there's sometimes a lot of things before the miracle. And we read through the path to the miracle. We read through everything that goes into it. And here we see it right at the beginning. Right at the beginning of the passage, who Jesus is and what he can do and how he is living. And it's so amazing to see his love in action. And so he's teaching in the synagogue and talking and helping and being who he is. And he sees her. Now imagine this for a second. Imagine her. 18 years of this pain and whatever it was that was causing it, a spirit or, or an infirmity or whatever, she was bent over and could not straighten up. And so we see that and we can picture her walking in and just being so hurt. And the other thing that goes along with it is, even though like it obviously causes trouble walking, I would imagine it also has a big effect on her sleeping. Because there wasn't like Joseph's lazy boys down the street that she could go and get to sleep in. Like this is a difficult thing. And so as she walked down, I wonder what was going on in her mind, in her heart. She obviously knew who Jesus was, or at least knew that he was there. But for 18 years, she had prayed for healing, prayed for deliverance, prayed for help, prayed for relief. And so if you can think about that, at first, for that first year, those first few months, it was probably like, okay, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. I'm going to be healed. And then, you know, that year goes by and another year goes by. And it's like, man, maybe, maybe not. But I'm going to keep praying. And she continued praying. And, and then, you know, the hope kind of fades. But she kept coming to church. She kept coming to God. And so that shows that even though the hope was fading, the faith was not. And so we see two major lessons in this first paragraph. And there's still a lot of paragraphs left, so buckle in. But two major lessons. And number one, and this is important, this is something we all know as Christians, Jesus can heal. He offers healing. He offers miraculous healing. And I've known people who have received this. I remember when I first came to Ohio at Tri-County, there, there was a woman there who had been on hospice. And, you know, she was basically going to die. Like, the doctor's like, you have a couple days. 
she just passed last year, 13 years after that. Like she was delivered, she was allowed out, she, she was a big part of the church. And so we focus on stories like that and it's so amazing to see how Jesus heals. And it's important to know that you, you don't give up, there's no timetable. 18 years this woman waited and yes, he healed. So that's one of the lessons. The other one is in the woman herself. Because she didn't give up. She didn't stop following God. She didn't stop going to church. She didn't give up on him. She may have given up on the idea of being healed, but she continued going. Because sometimes Jesus heals. And it's amazing and it's miraculous. Sometimes we still carry those things with us. But it's an opportunity to show other people that he is still there even in our tough times, even when we're bent over, even when things are hurting. And so she shows that, and it's so cool. And it says very clearly that she praised God after, but she praised God before and praised God during. And it's such an amazing lesson, both of those things. And I promise I'm going to find the right distance from the microphone here in a second. Verse 14. But the leader in charge of the synagogue was indignant that Jesus had healed her on the Sabbath day. There are six days of the week for working, he said to the crowd. Come on those days to be healed, not on the Sabbath. Now imagine this for a second. Imagine that Jason back there starts choking while he's running the sound. Because he's eating peanut M&Ms or something and he starts choking. And he's like calling for help and begging for help when he's starting to turn blue which he likes for a second because it's cowboy's colors, but still, it's not good. And then Amy runs back there and gives him the Heimlich and prays with him, and he's so happy because he's alive. Now imagine that I'm like, hey, you've got six days to choke. What are you doing? Like, can you imagine what you would think of me? You would throw tomatoes and rocks, and they kind of taste the same, so I wouldn't know the difference. Hard shot at tomatoes. But imagine that, imagine that this is the leader of a synagogue who actually says, hey, you've got six days to be healed, lady. But Jesus, Jesus saw her. He was teaching, he was talking, he was praising God, and yet he saw her. And so we can clearly see who was right or wrong. But sometimes, sometimes we make it really hard to be a Christian. We make it really hard, not just on ourselves, but on other people to be a Christian. Now, now, don't get me wrong, because absolutely we are called to follow the commands of Jesus. We're called to, to have morals, to live out our faith, and all of those things are vital. But sometimes we make kind of a sliding scale based on how we feel that day, or based on what we think things should be done like, or based on what, how much we like the other person. And sometimes... And this Pharisee is guilty of this. It becomes less about, but that's how God would do it, and more about, but that's how I want to do it. Like, you're, you're supposed to do it like me, and we can sometimes treat a new Christian like, hey, hey, hey. Now, I know that's what you're trying to do here, but you've got to do it like me. I've been a Christian for 75 years. And we get caught up in that, all of us. And it becomes less about live like Jesus, and more about live like me. And this rabbi, this ruler of the synagogue, he had a checklist of what it should look like and what people should do and what it should happen. And 
I've lived with that before. So when I first started my ministry, I was in Seymour, in Indiana, the greatest state in the union. Go IU. And, and uh, my pastor, I was in the congregation, that was my home church, I was raised there, and so it was my first thing, and you know, Jesus said, be careful in your hometown. Uh, but the pastor there, and he was a good man and a good pastor, he kept checklists for us. And so each week, he would go over the things we had not done right to his standard on that checklist. That is very hard to deal with sometimes. Now, he was not going into it like, hey, I really want to tear them down. That's how he learned, and that's what he needed, and that's what he wanted people to do with him. And so he was doing that, but he had that checklist. Now, the thing with Jesus here, he didn't go up to the woman outside and like, hey, so I know it's a Thursday, and you're asking me for healing. I want you to wait until the Sabbath so we can really make a splash. He wasn't doing that. He saw her in need, and he healed her. He also wasn't just flagrantly disregarding what people wanted him to do. He was healing. He was doing God's work. He was doing good. He was showing hope. Sometimes, as I said, we make it hard, but sometimes it is hard. Because of what's expected of us, because of what we, we don't know, and sometimes it's like, how, how can I do well? How can I be successful and be a Christian? How can I do this? How can I really show Jesus? What, what can I do? And so I have a couple of quotes today, and one of them is by an obscure historical figure named Benjamin Franklin. He's not really obscure. He invented lightning or something. That was a joke, guys. Come on. And he said, I'm worried that some of you thought he did, and so we might have to talk later. But he said, do well by doing good. Now, I am an English major. I chose English because it's a very lucrative field. And so I love the grammar stuff here. But also I love the message because he's like, hey, you're worried about success and you're worried about what it looks like and you're worried about how it does. Well, do good. If you do good, you do well. Now, again, don't get me wrong here. That is not all there is to being a Christian. That's not all there is to do. But when you are saved, when you have given your life to him, you know the path to heaven goes through him. You know he is the way, the truth, and the life. You know that you cannot work your way into heaven. And we know that. But sometimes we kind of put that over here and like, well, I can't work my way into heaven. I'm just going to do what I want and I'm a Christian. I'm good. But here's the thing. And I said this last week, but I'm going to say it again for you guys. Because I'm allowed to plagiarize myself because, again, English major, I make the rules. You cannot work your way into heaven, but the work you do, the good you do, can show others the path to get there. That's what we're doing here. That's what it means to do good. That's what it means to show Jesus. It's not about our path because we are saved. And we know that the only way to heaven is through him, and so we know that. But the doing good, the, the, the showing his works, the following who he is in the world, that shows other people, hey, there's something different here. And it has an impact. Now, I'm not saying, you know, ignore the church and ignore everything else and just do what you want and, and just do good and you're good. But look at why. 
you are doing this. Why you became a Christian? Why you chose Jesus? Why you're in church on a Sunday at 11 or something? I don't know what time it is. Sorry, that's going to maybe come into play later. I'm just joking. I saw some worried looks. But think about why you're here. Why you've chosen to be here on Father's Day. It's because he's made an impact in your life. He's shown you who he is. And so show that to other people. And we go back to verse 15. But the Lord replied, you hypocrites, each of you works on the Sabbath day. Don't you untie your ox or your donkey from its stall on the Sabbath and lead it out for water? This dear woman, a daughter of Abraham, has been held in bondage by Satan for 18 years. Isn't it right that she be released even on the Sabbath? This shamed his enemies, but all the people rejoiced at the wonderful things he did. Jesus was never more harsh than when he was talking to hypocrites. Because someone who is leading, someone who is saying, hey, follow me, and yet not living it out, that's very dangerous to the faith. And so he was calling them out, but not to make them quit, not to make them hate themselves, not to make them feel like they're worthless, but to say, hey, guys, remember why you became rabbis in the first place. Remember why you're following God. Remember what you got into this for. To remind them who they were. So often, so often we're cool with things that we do. Or we justify things others do because we like them, because they share our party, because they're an athlete we like, a celebrity we like, whatever. And we justify it. It's like, that's okay. But then as soon as someone we don't like or someone we don't know or whatever does something, maybe the same thing, it's like, hey, how could they do that? Everyone here, including myself, is old enough to have a Facebook. I've got bad news for you. It's now considered just an older person thing. Sorry. I know some of you have TikToks, but that's cool. I know some of you also don't know what that means, but that's also cool. (laughs) But we see maybe a post. And it's like, that is so offensive and wrong. I cannot believe they call themselves a Christian and would say that or do that. And then we type up a post about how angry we are and how stupid they are. And it's like, wait, wait a second. There is an old saying, if you're walking down the street with someone and you stub your toe, that's tragedy because it hurts and you know that it hurts. And if they laugh, you get kind of annoyed. But then you know you walk by an open manhole cover because it's apparently the 40s. And they fall in. You kind of laugh because like that's comedy. Because it happened to them because it is what it is. We will always understand our motivations. And so it's easy to understand why this happened and that happened and that's fine. But it's harder when it comes to other people. But for Jesus... He looked out, and in the midst of his teaching, he saw the people there. He saw their hearts. He saw the needs. He saw God. And so he healed her. He showed her. He showed everyone who he is. Now, I believe that she obviously remembered that forever, because 18 years of struggling with something, but it also says that the people around rejoiced. And yet, when he was crucified, those same people were probably yelling some pretty bad things at him. So it's like, how did they forget? And one of the things that makes it hard for us as Christians is we can 
bend over backwards sometimes to do good, to help somebody, and then they can basically spit in our face two weeks later. Or they're like, yeah, I don't care, it's over now, like I don't need you anymore. And that hurts. I've had people in my life where I've done everything I could, and then once they're out of the, the struggle or out of the situation, it's like, see it. And that hurts. And so it's hard because we want, it's not that we want the glory, but we want it to at least be remembered. We want to feel that there's an impact. Well, I have another quote, and this is from Mother Teresa. The good you do today will often be forgotten by tomorrow. Do good anyway. Here's the thing. And this is kind of hard to hear for all of us. It will be forgotten. In fact, we will be forgotten eventually. Now, we think about the, the historical figures that we know, and we think about the, the, the strong Christians like Billy Graham or Paul, and it's like they're remembered. But there are a lot of people who followed Jesus back along with the disciples, and we don't know their names. And yet their lives still mattered. They did good, and that still mattered. So, yeah, we're probably not going to be remembered, and people might forget what we did, and they might forget who we are, and they might forget what we've done, but that impact will still be felt. That impact will still make a difference. That good that comes from our life will still matter, and our names may not live on, but the good that we do, the way that we show Jesus, that will. You may never know whose lives you touch. It would be awesome if everyone who saw you do something came up and said, hey, five years ago, I saw you deal with something and the way you handled it showed so much grace, you helped me find Jesus. That would be awesome. That's not gonna happen. But it still matters because they still see him in you and that's what we're doing. It's still worth it to live for him even if nobody else sees it. It's still worth it to do good even if it's forgotten because that's why we're here and that's what he did. Last part of the scripture, this is verse 18. Then Jesus said, what is the kingdom of God like? How can I illustrate it? It is like a tiny mustard seed that a man planted in a garden. It grows and becomes a tree and the birds make a nest in its branches. Now, if you were like me, and I apologize if you are, but if you were like me, you go straight to the mustard seed there and you jump ahead to where he talked about have faith like a mustard seed because it'll grow. And so we think, oh, this is good. This is Jesus saying something good. And so I was thinking that when I was praying about my message and I was reading through commentaries and I was just reading context around and just reading everything I could and praying. And I realized, oh, this is more of a warning. You see, on the surface, because we know the rest of the mustard seed stuff, this seems positive, but... So... No one knows more about gardening than someone who has never gardened before, so bear with me here. A mustard seed grows into a bush, I believe. And so you can fact check me on that later, but I'm pretty sure that's right. And I, I'm going to be honest, when I'm saying this, I picture little packets of mustard, and I'm not kidding. And so a mustard seed grows into a bush. However, this one that he's talking about grows into a tree. Now, one of the things Jesus did when he talked, uh, and he was a brilliant speaker, as well as being the Son of God and the Messiah, like he was also a brilliant speaker, is he would use trees to often, not always, but often represent governments and how they can go corrupt or 
organizations and how they can go corrupt and stuff. So he's warning, saying, hey, sometimes things can start nesting and you start putting up with stuff and it grows bigger than you're ready for and you don't know what you're doing and your focus changes. He is not saying, don't go to church. He's not saying every church is bad. He's not saying any church is bad. He's saying, remember who you are. And remember how that mustard seed grew. Grew. That was horrible. And we think about times where the capital C church maybe wasn't everything it should have been. The church during Rome's time. The church during England's time that basically forced people to come over here and, and have freedom of religion. The Crusades, like all of these things. And they're isolated incidents, thankfully, but sometimes, sometimes we forget why we exist. We forget why our church exists. We forget why we are Christians. We forget who we are. We forget who we serve. I have one more quote, and this is from someone that I respect very much. C.S. Lewis. Uh, I use him a lot because... I see him, and some, a lot of people do, I think, see him as a modern-day Paul. Although he's dead, so I guess he was a modern-day Paul. And he did a lot of writing, he did a lot of thinking, he really furthered the cause of Christ. And this quote, and I want you to listen to it, because on the surface it's like, whoa. The church exists for nothing else but to draw men into Christ to make them little Christs. If they are not doing that, all the cathedrals, the clergy, the missions, the sermons, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. God became man for no other purpose. Now, he is not saying, none of that stuff matters. That stuff's good, it is. We just had VBS, like they said. And I helped with it in the games. I wasn't a lot of help, but I was there. I'm kind of frightened of children who aren't three years old and related to me. And that's a good thing. We, the impact, not just on, on the money that came in, not just on the food that came in, but on those kids' lives, to know other people care about them, that's awesome. Our Tuesday nights, our Sunday mornings, everything we do at this church, it has a good purpose and it's good and it does good. And CS, and I can call him that because we went to school together, he's not saying, don't do that stuff. He's saying, remember why you do that stuff. Build everything, your life, the church, everything around Jesus. All of us, everyone watching, everyone here, again, myself included, we have at one point or another, instead of starting with Jesus, tried to fit him into what we want to do. And that's, we're human, that happens. But we start with him always. And then everything else builds around him. And I got to tell you, when we do it that way, all of that other stuff has such a powerful impact. Because we are doing it for him. We are doing good for him. We are showing who he is for him. And he says, C.S. says, to draw men into Christ. To make them little Christ. To show people. How to be like Jesus. I have heard a phrase once or twice that is knowing Jesus and making Jesus known. That means something. That's not just a t-shirt thing. That's what we're called to do. To make disciples. To do things. To, to show people who he is. To build everything around him. 
But without that mindset, without that heart set, without that doing good, without that being like Jesus way of life, everything else is just stuff. It becomes just stuff we do. And again, I'm not just talking about church. I'm talking about our lives. It becomes just whatever. I have a friend. That wasn't the revelation. I have a friend who has a really weird take on Subway. The the sandwich, not the thing you write. And it's, I hate Subway because you can make it at home. Now, I know. Now, I don't have the heart to tell her that essentially you can make everything from a restaurant at home. But if we ignore Jesus or we don't build our lives around him, we don't build our our, our ministries around him, we don't build everything around him, why even be here? What's the point? And people in the world see that and they're like, are they following Jesus? Are they living like Jesus? If not, I don't care. And that's what we're called to do. That's who we are. And there's another quote, and this isn't up on there, but it's one that I, I, my title for this sermon was No Good Deed. And I got that from an Oscar Wilde quote, as well as a song from Wicked the Musical. And the full quote is, no good deed goes unpunished. And that's true, like we talked about. You can do good for someone, and they can not care, or they can insult you. If I could tell you right now, everyone here and the millions watching at home, if I could tell you, hey, if you follow Jesus and you center your life around him and everything you do starts with him, man, your life's going to be easy. People are going to be nice to you and you're going to get promotions, you're going to get good grades and everybody's going to like you. If I could tell you that, man, people would be lining up to get in these doors. I can't. Because no good deed goes unpunished. However, and this is a big however, no good deed goes unnoticed either. No good deed goes unfelt. Any good deed that is done with Jesus at the heart of it has an impact, a powerful impact that matters and is felt and does what it's supposed to do. It's a miracle. Here's the thing. This series is about miracles. And I think sometimes we we read these and we look around and we're like, I don't see miracles anymore. There's a couple reasons for that. But here's the biggest one. Because we are called to be the miracles to everyone else. The miracle, the grace of Jesus' salvation has given us a chance to show others what that feels like, what that looks like, how to be better. And then we go out and our love, the way we follow Jesus, is a miracle to someone else. That's why we're here. That's why we follow him. And that's what he wants us to do. Because we have been called to be like Jesus and to go out in the world and show people what that means. That's all I got.